Hello and welcome to Discover Energy Work. Today I have, now I can't remember your name, Stephen Chung, isn't it? Chris Chung, where did I get that? Where did Stephen Chung come from? Anyway, okay, well, Stephen Chung out there, thanks for dropping in. We have Chris Chung here, and Chris was introduced me introduced to me by Hofan, Hofan Chow, and I, I was sort of saying to Chris, so how do I introduce you? And it's like, he's just got this incredibly broad um, series of tools which he uses from sound to movement to... Uh, entering into that very special uh, space where real change is possible. And I'm really excited because I know nothing about what Chris is going to tell me. And um, and so welcome, Chris. How are you today? Yeah, thank you. I'm doing good. I just, um, just went outside before we jumped on the call. I live on the island of Hawaii and um, I'm doing good. Doing oh, really brilliant. Good. Yeah. Excited to be here. It, I'm in this beautiful place, Thailand, and I'm feeling like a little bit of envy. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, like I'm in like paradise myself, and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm in paradise. He said, No, no, I'm in paradise. Oh, that's so cool. Um, so, uh, yeah, you what we what we were talking about before we started was like these incredible experiences that you've had, and like we did we we didn't even really talk about them. I said, you know, well, I had these. I said, I'm a Taoist, and you said, well, I was introduced to Taoist masters in the special space. And I'm like, oh, wow, cool. I'd love to hear about that. But where did your journey begin? Because like I always say to people, like, why on earth, when you've got the opportunity of being, say, a banker or a businessman making millions and, you know, why on earth would you choose this path? What what happened? Yeah, well, for me, I was that that kind of banking finance individual chasing the notion of success that's given to us by our culture. Um, my parents were born in Hong Kong uh, and I was born and raised in Australia, yet I still had all of the um, uh, Chinese um, upbringing and culture that was very mm. strong, you know, the success driven, need to, need to be very focused on academics, etc. Um, and so I went down that road of worshiping money and um, I was partying, I was addicted to drugs, I was addicted to pornography. My life was going this way up in society and in my career, but yet my emotional and trauma and depth of feeling was going this way. And um, it eventually collided completely when I was in a drunken arm wrestle and I broke my arm arm wrestling. Well, like snapped? No. My humerus fractured. <gasps> the scar still. Oh, yeah. so that would be a torsion fracture. That would like twist and snap. Oh. Unwound. The humerus wow. unwound. It. That's like the worst. About 10, 10 seconds. And then I, got, I went into surgery. I had two plates in my arm. And... During the surgery, I had, I guess, um, some kind of really deep, um, I would just say near-death experience that I don't necessarily remember the imagery behind it. But when I woke up, I had this overwhelming feeling of needing to change my life. Right. And so your breakpoint was a breakpoint. 
that was literally a break point. I yeah. So it was one of the best things that ha could happen to me. Right at my Saturn return at the age of around 27, 28. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, Isn't that interesting, uh, Saturn returns? And um, that was when I um, I went the down the path of what I knew to be develop self development, and all I knew being an athlete and a sports person at the beginning was just to develop to work on my physical body. So it was just about going back, going to the gym, exercising. I already studied years of martial arts, like the Shaolin Wushu. Um, Kung Fu kind of thing. It was very mm. machismo. Um, and I was, you know, sparring with the champion MMA fighters. You know, it was very, very uh, uh, alpha male style. Um, uh, who, you that, <laughs> who you can beat out of that? Who you can beat is how good you are. You know, high, highly in competition. When yeah. I came out of that, I decided I wasn't going to do that. I wanted to work on dancing. I wanted to learn hip hop dance. I wanted to learn um, like softer forms of movement. So that's when I started doing when I learned when I started doing dance. So I took up different forms of movement, which right. eventually led me down to 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 uh, diet. But I realized at some point on that physical journey, on that physical what, what I call like body recomposition or. Um, physical recomposition uh, path of self-development, I was still stuck. I was still quite addicted to alcohol. My relationships still were falling apart. Mm. I had no emotional depth. Um, I had no words for emotions. Um, mm. And um, I, I, although I felt like something was changing, I was still very lost. Mm. Very, very lost. And so I started to... Um, as I began dancing and as I got uh, a couple of years worth of uh, dance in my belt, I started to embody more like, let's say, the feminine, to become more in touch with earth and the flow, the, the flowiness of mm. how things can be, like, let's say, water, for instance. And it was as though my whole... Um, psyche was shifting with that and so that's kind of what started to um take me down the road of wanting to um find out more about certain dreams or esoteric or metaphysical things you could say psychic things that i, I had experienced in my younger years mm. that nobody really had an answer for me my oh. parents were oh. out Catholics. Right. And um, although I encountered ghosts, encountered spirits, um, and um, I had dreams that were prophetic, that would tell me things about the future, like about my life that would all yep. play out. Ooh. Yep. Um, I was like, why? What is all of this? And so I, that's when I started, I came across like some um, Tibetan works, just I started to look more into just uh, this one. I came across the works of uh, Drunbalo, actually, Drunbalo, Drunbalo Melchizedek, and his works around Serpent of Light and that kind of thing. And I, I started to delve into some of these readings about sacred geometry. And because I came from a science and mathematics background, that work kind of helped me bridge this 
gap that exists in you know most of today's mainstream education which is um metaphysical which Chris, is actually I, there's a science yeah can i ask you to Sorry. to just because i'm curious right now i'm curious about um children's experiences and kind of like i feel that in our society children are kind of lost when they have these experiences there's it's absolutely, we're told, like, uh, you know, uh, Bowlby's um, uh, attachment theory, you need to, children need to be seen, they need to be loved, and they need to be safe. And then they're having experiences, which are kind of like, it's rejection experiences in a way, once they have that experience, like, oh, no, no, you didn't. Or so can you, could you tell me, I'm just curious if it's okay. Um, what actually happened? What were the experiences and what was the reaction to them? And what do you think should have been the better reaction? Um, they were, it was like, um, let's say I would, I would, um, um, I would see, I would really dislike someone intensely, for instance. And I say, I would say something like, I wish that this person would break a leg and in that moment and like literally within that same day that person would break their leg and i would hear these voices in my head saying be careful what you wish for and things right. like this but i had a very strong manifesting uh capabilities as a child that i shut off completely because mm. i got really scared types of experience. that that's one type of experience of like wow. being scared of our own power another type of experience is like um where we would feel the sensation of ghosts or presences in the room mm. and um you know that uh i wouldn't even i'd be too scared to even talk about it to my to my parents out of fear for the fact that they would just simply judge me or they 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 have the capacity there to have understood me at that point in time so i felt it was just futile to raise it them, right right or night yeah. terror night terrors being attacked in your dreams waking up from the night terror and then not feeling comforted but instead shamed for crying so so stop crying it's nothing to be scared of go back to sleep it's interesting i i mean there's an interesting parallel because number one is you had that vision of disliking, disliking somebody and your reaction was break a bone and then you broke your own bone. Yeah. I was like, wow, what an interesting parallel uh, with the arm wrestle. But uh, what, what do you, what would you say to your, I, I think you're a father now, aren't you? So what would you say to your, yourself as a father, you, you know, you as your own father, or what was sort of reaction do you think would be more useful to you knowing knowing you as you were and knowing you now? Well, it's quite a bit different because I have the sight of the unseen realms. So I know what's going on because I see ghosts and spirits and I'm interacting with them and other entities, star beings and not of this world or hollow earth beings, uh, uh, interacting with the middle world. And so, and I'm able to tap into my child's dream time and actually see what's going on there. So it's very, very different uh, 
raising my child because like even though she's 10 months i know if she's getting attacked like this whole dream space is fortified right a whole bunch of different protection other astral unseen realm things that i've done that stop that from happening because there's a protection that we we say we need of children right but we need it in both the seen and the unseen realms. Who's going to do that protection in the unseen realms? Right. If your parents aren't there to do it, who's going to do it for you? If right. you have no capacity to see into the unseen realms, how are you going to protect? I'd, not just your child, but yourself. It's a fantastic question. Yeah, I think this is missing. I think it's, you know, what a, what a great question. It's completely missing. And I mean, places like, for instance, bali or thailand you know i i kind of call them like the refugee centers of the unseen realms and you know i might walk into a cafe i'm absolutely it's like walking into an airport there's thousands and thousands of spirits and other entities buzzing around around the room literally and it's very loud for me although i might be the only person in the cafe right so it's like you know that environment i would never place my child into because i know that she's going to be overwhelmed and she's she's gonna be like why why what are you doing here right, <laughs> right. But most most other people would just walk straight in oh it's empty great it's peaceful right but why is my child crying now it it's um um i feel like uh well, at least i can relate from the point of view, like my, my awakening experience was, um, as an adult was like experiencing energy and you could have something that looked great, but if you felt the energy, it was like, Oh, it's, it's toilet. Yeah. It's awful. Like just don't, don't go near it. And, um, and that being so different from what you could see. Um, and so having that knowledge, you know, I, I mean, I always go, go places and i check i don't check what it looks like i check what the energy is like <laughs> so yeah which is actually a, a, a very good way of discernment the thing is there's a lot of what i would just call like false light beings who appear very um you know not healthy is not the right word but let's say on your side kind of thing like I'm, I'm such a good energy. I look, look at my bright light here, mm. but they're what I would just simply call false light beings that in your discernment through your feeling, you would feel through that and go, you feel a bit shady here. Why do I feel you're shady? But why do you not look like the same thing as how you feel? Right. It's like a pig putting makeup on. It's yeah. I, I think they sound like the narcissists of the energy world. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. It's like the outside. So, yeah. There is a, there's a large element of discernment that's accessible in the feeling space over above and beyond just what we see. Mm. The eyes are easy to deceive. The feeling, especially from the heart centered space is mm. much harder to, um, to decipher. Yeah. But you know, even these things begin to evolve, um, in who we choose to interact with, you know, later on, depending on the, the, the kind of work we've done for ourselves in integrating our light and our shadow. Um, we have often, many of us have this uh, resistance 
or this um this fear of like darker entities and this um uh, i went through um big initiations with the immortal masters yeah tell me about that what happened there that i mean it's incredible yeah well um this was in my second dark room experience in thailand uh at tao garden in chiang mai oh yeah um where you sort of spend nine days in darkness you don't eat fasting so you're deep in meditation and um it was in that space that they introduced themselves to me and they started to teach me um, the original, original uh, Tao, not the textbook stuff. So I've never read, I've never picked up anything textbook related around Taoism. But this is, this is before the corruption, even as to what we read in the Tao Te Ching and things like this. Mm. Um, and so what they showed me was. Um, that I had this behavior, this pattern of when I would encounter dark beings to want to annihilate them, mm. get them out of here. And um, this, uh, they showed me how destructive this was. Uh, and they showed me their lifetimes of how they would go through different uh, places around Asia, etc. Um, clearing energy, clearing pl spaces and places mm. of um, of residual bad juju, mm. and I noticed myself going through and initially just wanting to annihilate everything mm. behind them. But they showed me how they were doing it, which was not just a place of um, it was what I call walking the middle way. Mm. It's a path of neutrality, but the path of neutrality comes from a full embrace and acceptance, not just acceptance of light and dark, but a full embrace of all that is light and all that is dark, mm. all that is done, basically, a full mm. embrace of all yeah. that to come to the middle way. So it's a point of neutrality from a full embrace of the whole spectrum of the yin and the yang. You know, and, I find this is like, this is this is really beautifully said, and and you know, I, I find I I met this uh, black man in um, uh, American black man, so um, in in one of the malls, and we're just chatting, and I said, look, all of this, um, a lot of a lot of this uh, uh, prejudice and that comes from comes in the world with this racial prejudice and so on comes from a very simple thing it's like we're trying to we're we want to go to the light and we're trying to escape from the dark and until we can recognize the dual the duality and embrace it we're going to have a problem and it is you know, and it, it is literally like even you know the black people they go oh no i i want to move into the light i'm like uh guys um I'm not saying in any way embrace demonic beings at all. Like you've got to try and work out what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Uh, but it's not, uh, it's exactly, we tend to have this, Yeah, you know, people go ghost hunting and they, they want to annihilate the beings. Um, but there's a wonderful uh, show. If I forget what it's called. Um, we have these two old, old dears from England traveling around the world and, 
uh, when they go to a haunted house, they're um, trying to get the story and then saying, okay, you need, oh, uh, yeah, that was really terrible for you. So they're kind of doing like trauma release with the spirit and then they lead them to the light and then suddenly everything's okay in that house. Um, and, you know, they're, they're literally, you know, they're sort of uh, couldn't be more stereotypic English um, you know, grandmothers with their, you know, cups of tea and, and, and going out for gin and tonics afterwards. And they're so normal. And yet they've got that vision in the realm. Um, and uh, so, I, I mean, I just love what you're saying. It's, it's really beautiful. Um, and yeah. so you, you were taken in that 10 days to these different places. And did that then, did your life change after that? After that? No, it took me another nine six to nine months after that integrate all those teachings there was a lot that was taught to me that at <laughs> that's the nothing end that's that, amazing <laughs> that's amazing it's taken me 30 years yeah. but i mean it's not my first lifetime that i've done this kind of stuff either okay no I the thing better. is that um <laughs> the the um the 10 days really at the end of it i could walk into a space full of demonic beings and um, I would not annihilate them, but I would just be numb going through the space. I would just walk through it and be numb to it. Mm. And around six to nine months later of, you know, continued teachings and continued whatever practices, I was just sitting on the couch one day and all of a sudden I just, it just suddenly all clicked. Everything just suddenly clicked. And I was like, oh my God, they're just like white and black people. And that revelation, that whole aspect could only come through once all that feeling and that emotion and that needing to hold on to how the dark has hurt the light and how the light has hurt the dark, et cetera, et cetera, mm. had been released mm. and had forgiven, had been forgiven. And then I saw a ginormous circle of all of my ancestors, all of mm. the ones who had done more heinous things in their lifetimes mm. come and be welcomed and be respected and come to greet me. And I was in that moment that then I saw those lifetimes of myself too, much more. You know? wow. So yeah, there's a, there's a big process. And even, even after that, several years after that, it's not till um, uh, later on that I've been more deliberately focused on deep diving into the emotional space, doing really, really deep mummy and daddy trauma work that I could really feel into the, um, you know, when you're talking about these, the black people and white people in America, it's pretty, um, I mean, around the whole world is pre pretty bad at the moment. Just yeah. the divisiveness. But yeah. um, it's that divisiveness that um, actually resides within ourselves. You know? hmm. um, yeah. So, yeah, that's just one of the aspects that they taught me was, um, was the, uh, you know, the, the, the dark versus the light thing. And uh, you were touching on a point before about, you know, the, you know, dark wanting to go light. And the thing that they told me was, you know, we, we were given which side we were going to be on initially. And the universal law, uh, the universal law says that we are all equals. Everything is all in, in equity equanimity and equalness mm. and it would be unfair for the dark to have to go light in order to ascend in order to graduate 
if the light can just stay light and ascend, the light actually has to go dark too in order to ascend. And actually it's that whole spectrum of experience that we all need to have before we graduate. And this was a big revelation for me at that point. Cause I was like, Oh yeah. Like why would, why would it's like, and there was a part of me that was, very ashamed of having fallen from the light let's say mm. and and i had big memories of being a really really dark 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 sided individual mm. um uh not not just not here on earth not just here on earth but in alpha draconis and other places and on, on orion um and um that opened up all of that memory access to all of that memory and that skill set and that trauma. Chris, I mean, how do you, I mean, like, cause I, I feel like when all this stuff comes and then you go down to your local coffee shop and can say, can I have a latte or a frappuccino? How do you keep like real, like without like being, cause you can have a normal conversation as well. And I yeah. feel like a lot of people like, they just like, well, this is a bit scary. I'm not going to be able to be real. I'll be schizophrenic or whatever. But it's like there's, a, there's something which allows us to kind of, uh, I don't know, like shift, shift worlds and just be, you know, in the, I don't know, um, the dog's, you know, done a poo on the carpet and I need to clear it up. You know, it's like, <laughs> like a day-to-day -day reality, you know, earthiness. How, how, do you, how, how do you deal with that? Because I feel like, wow, you're really in touch with so many dimensions. Like, wow. Yeah. Well, it's a skill that you kind of turn, that I have developed over time that I have an ability to turn on and off. Mm. So there are sometimes some things that are just too hard to turn off. Um, like, mm. for instance, if there's, I just call it like, let's say that there's a whole bunch of unseen beings that have left, tried to contact me and I've turned it off you know, cause either I'm doing client sessions for the whole day or whatever it is like I'm busy mm. and I will have like this sensation of, Oh, a whole bunch of people have less left me voicemails. So I'll drop into meditation and DMT tunnel comes out and straight away I'm in, I'm receiving all these messages that, that these beings have left for me, you know? Mm. So it, but it's, a, it takes time to develop these skills and an ability to turn them on and off. Mm. Yeah. Uh, um, and so, yeah, it's not like they're all, they're always on. I don't need them to be always on, mm. but at the same time, I think that like, um, we, we talk about like the present moment being needing to be in the present moment a lot. Right. And people often might say like, well, if you're thinking of the past and you're thinking of the future all the time and you're experiencing different realities and dimensions, mm -hmm. does that not just mean you're not in the present moment? Does it mean that you are too focused on something besides the now? The thing is that <laughs> yeah. the now, the present moment expands. So this expansiveness we're talking about consciousness is that we seem to think that we're like one dimensional and that's all we can be in that one moment. Oh, yeah. I but like in this one moment, I'm, I am connected to multi-dimensional versions of not just like my different avatars in this now, but 
the past, the present, the future, we're all accessing it all in the now. And I can, it's like, what, what is it that separates the now and the future and the past? Yeah. What is time anyways? It, it's so interesting. So you're touching on something where I feel like a wonderful, a wonderful thing happened when the, um, Eckhart Tolle brought out the power of now and people started to be here now. A lot of people have used it to numb themselves. Um, and and this, this girl was kind of taught, was having a conversation with this very good, lovely lady, and she's doing energy work. And she says, well, I try and be in the now. And I almost shouted at her, there is no now, yeah, to, to break it. There is no now. Because now is just a concept, is a, is a word concept, which we've used to divide up time. And, and time, by the way, is not divided. <laughs> um, and so wherever you are even if you're in the past you're in now yeah um you know it's such a yeah it's a part of uh, something i like to talk about sometimes with yeah people. well i mean for me it's just, it's it's an attachment that we have to a past or a future point it's a it's an attachment that we have to some type of linearity to an event that either is yet to come like i i want good marks for this exam so that i can mm, pass mm. it i'm attached to that moment or right, I'm, right. I'm regretting something that i did in the past and then i can't heal that i can't forgive myself for it i'm attached to this this is this thing that happened um and and that can be through not just this lifetime but multitudes of lifetimes right and and that attachment is is also the now but it's also holding us back from opening up an infinite number of possibilities of a future it restricts us it like restricts a flow of where we can potentially go and it creates what i call an emotional compression point so if i am looking at a exam that i need to do in the future and i need to pass or something Right. And I'm anxious, right? I'm mm. like, oh, this is really important for me. I need to get this done really, really well. Mm. What happens is, let's say it's one month in the future and all the points to which I was studying for it and I became anxious, all those days, all those moments within the day, all that fear comes compressed into the one moment of now and we end up in a big emotional loop. And it mm. creates anxiety. It's the mm. same thing with mm. the past. Mm. So I'm, I'm ashamed that I did something that I really, really regret. And I'm really sad about it. And I can't change it. And I don't know what right. to do. Right. Every single, and that happened a month ago. Every single time that I felt that sadness, that shame, etc., on all of those days becomes compressed to the point of now. And I feel that not just as of that moment. But if every single moment from then to now in time fashion compressed into the now. Well, you kind of like you, what I feel like you're almost going into is, is how you helping people now. I mean that, cause I, I'm thinking like you could have chosen a, uh, I sit on a mountain and I'm, whoever comes up, I'm gonna, you know, I, I, I could see you making a choice and like, there's nothing really to do in this world. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's fine. I'm just going to sit and, whatever comes up comes up um and yet you've chosen a way of uh of, of taking this uh, knowledge wisdom and 
um, opening it up for people so you can say you can help them or facilitate them. So how does that yes. work? Well, yeah, I mean, I've spent enough lifetimes sitting in a monastery that I'm done with that sort of thing. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I, there's a lot of, um, there's, you know, a lot of amazing esoteric teachings out there, a lot of, you know, including Taoism and Buddhism and, you know, like even within the religions themselves. Sure. Um, the problem with it is that, you know, it might be 70%, 50 to 70% true, but the 30% that's not true has kept us stuck and has flipped the whole message in order to trap us. And so it's like the master who passes on everything except that last teaching yeah. to his pupils. And so the whole thing becomes a waste of time. Yeah. And this is very common in all of our lineages. And so therefore um, we, you know, everyone has, <laughs> unfortunately no one can become enlightened from reading any book of any master. It's just not possible because every single book and every single text has been just ever so slightly or some more than others distorted in a way that we cannot free ourselves with just that text or with just whatever teaching was shared. This is why a lot of teachers refuse to have their message recorded in books because they knew that this would happen. So the thing is one of the key things that, the Taoists had asked for me to do is because for me, my mastery in a lot of times has been around the emotional space. Okay. Not just the heart space, but the mm. emotional space. Mm. So what do I mean by that? I mean, um, for me, it was always about the integration the the emotional and feeling centric experience of being human and what do i mean by that i mean that that is a direct replication within our skin suit of what the divinity source feels what a divine source being feels what a soul feels mm. in our innate built in into our bodies the beauty of the human body is that our bodies actually allow us to to receive a full spectrum of feelings and emotions that our soul actually feels replication. Mm. That's a big, this is what they, what the, you know, when the Bible says man is made in God's image, this mm. is about the feeling centric space. This is the power that we have. None of it was held back. We have a full blown spectrum of all of it. It was not held back at all. Mm. And so because of, because of that though, um, it's very complicated. Yeah, it's big, huh? You know, that's like and my most brain's just like my brain's gone to the toilet. Yeah, it'll be back in most, five minutes. Most of us are just like, it's just too confusing for me. I don't know what I'm feeling, so I'm just not going to talk to them. Right. Okay. And we're given a limited set of linguistics to be able to explain them. Oh yeah. yeah. Right. So you know, twenty six letters of the alphabet, a bit more in Chinese. Um, and <laughs> it's it's restricted 
right? Yeah. How can you possibly choose, you know, there might be 10,000 commonly used words in the dictionary, maybe a couple of thousand. And you're telling me that all of these words can describe exactly how divinity feels. It's, mm. it's, it's just not possible, right. you know? And it not, not accurately anyway. So, but then linguistics has been trapped too. You know, there's polarity built into our language. And mm. good and dark, bad and light and dark and there's negative and positive connotations that that are designed there to keep us divisive in our ways but mm. it's also in our language is built in elements of needing to have us attached to a past and attached to a future too like mm. words such as growth even when i talk about growth or i'm talking about or self-growth i'm talking about me being a better version of my past version yeah. of myself. Right. That's already a point of comparison and a point of yeah. competition. It's linear. So like there's yeah. all these elements and we talk, it's just in the cultural fabric, the mm. language, the cultural fabric, all has polarity and duality. Built Absolutely. So if we actually had to truly exit out of that, we need to look at our language. We need to rephrase certain words because as truth changes to walking the middle way, and not a path of duality, our language has to change too. The words we choose to use don't feel right anymore. Mm -hmm. So like walking out of a dark room after nine days, I couldn't speak to people for two weeks because mm. everything that came out of my mouth felt wrong. Wow. Because like, this isn't right. This isn't what I'm saying. This just doesn't feel right. And Fantastic. it took me at least two weeks. I was just stuttering here as I, no, that's not the right word. That's not the right word. Mm. So it took a long time to rejig the words that I was using. That's beautiful. Because truth as an expression of oneself and how we're being is distorted by the words you that know, we're choosing to use through our culture. What, what, what seems to be coming through, if I can say, um, when I'm talking to you, what seems to be coming through is a very deep core of um, compassion because you're having these experiences like not even being able to speak and giving yourself two weeks whereas other people may just like freak out like totally freak out and you've gone okay well it's gonna <laughs> like um it's uh i feel like i'm feeling trying to feel like oh there's, there's this whole level of uh self-kindness self-patience self-compassion which which i think is something you I can imagine that's a great resource for you in your work. Yeah, it is. I mean, like when you talk, when, when anyone says anything about, excuse me, heart or compassion, I'm always reminded of like a really big mystical experience that I had. That was a big part of my awakening journey, which was in 2012, December 21st. Um, I, at night time, I yeah. felt like, yeah, a very special day, uh, the changing of the equinox. And um, I just, I was going to dance class and, but I, as I was walking out of, out of work, I was like, I can't actually physically get myself to dance class. I feel like I've got to go home. And so I walked home and um, I knew Junvalo was doing a, a guided meditation at that point in time. I'm like, okay, I need to do this meditation that is doing. So I just sat on the corner of my bed and I just opened up this, the web, you know, his, his, 
his live stream, I did this meditation about 10 minutes into this meditation, 20 minutes maybe into this meditation, mm. I had a heart orgasm. And this was my second meditation ever that I had ever done. And <laughs> the whole what I, tell me what that is. Yeah. Um, well, it felt to me like um, a genital orgasm, but it was coming from my heart, literally. Yeah. And my heart was, ex was exploding for about 20, 25 minutes. Um, in this pure love type feeling that I could just be like, all I could say was, wow, this is what true compassion, unconditional love actually feels like. And I was connected. I felt connected to everything within a three meter radius of myself. Like it was the same thing. Like I was that consciousness and that was, this is, this is a part of me. And it was a profound experience, mystical experience. I had no idea what yeah. the hell I had just experienced. Yeah. And that was really what put me on the path of really going very, very deeply into the esoteric to understand. Wow, I think that's the title of our show. It's got to be like uh, Chris Churn and his heart orgasm. Yeah, I mean, like it's catchy. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna attract people. <laughs> but um, well, yeah. and it's true. I've I've had. I won't say I've had the same experience, but I've had this like, wow, like that's, that's a whole body orgasm. And I'm just sitting here. Like I'm just, you know, just something like beautiful has opened up and it's joy and relaxation and love, you know, um, yeah. that's beautiful. And, and so, I mean, that was really only possible because I had so many walls around my heart and that had just been building up for a really, really long time. Mm -hmm. It's a bit different when you're already cemented into that space and you're there all the time in this heart, in that heart space. Uh, it doesn't come up like a big wave. It's like, you know, you only generally grieve and you have a cathartic release if it's been really built up and it's really, yeah. really strong wave. Yeah. Right? Same yeah. thing like any, you know, uh, th that type of experience where you have this big cathartic release. Totally, totally. It's the same with Buddha's enlightenment. He, gave, he was just gung-ho for enlightenment for however many years. And it's the moment he gave up is when he had his heartgasm or, or well, we'll call it enlightenment, but it's a form of kind of deep, deep, deep heartgasm. Um, yeah. But, um, and at a more extreme level, like, you know, that's, that's, I don't know, stage one, I would say. Stage two of that is when your heart actually begins to glow from inside, literally. Mm. So there's one moment where I'd woken, woken up a few years, a couple of years ago. Mm. And um, I woke up and my blankets were glowing orange. And I was like, what is glowing orange? And it was daytime. But it was it's a good question. Bright. Like, what is what is glowing right and um i pulled my bed sheets down and i saw my heart was actually glowing golden from the inside out and i was like come on i'm still in a dream what the hell is going on here mm -hmm. what is what mm -hmm. is this that's happening mm -hmm. and so i stayed awake because i was like i want to know this isn't a dream is this, mm. is, is this actually happening to me yeah 
and I stayed awake and it faded, but I stayed awake. I got up and was like, like what, what just happened here? Mm. But I know that that is a stage two where your heart, you know, it's not just about the heart orgasms. It's like your heart is permanently glowing golden. Mm. golden. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, those are the things that come up when you speak to compassion. Chris, you know, I, there's two things. Number one is we're kind of like coming, I kind of like keep things on just practically, I keep things on around about 40 minutes and, and we've come and I feel like, well, we've kind of like scratched the surface. And, um, and so I want to extend an invitation to talk to you again. Because uh, I think there's a lot we can talk about, and and a lot, I mean, um, there's things that you're touching on that are moving me, which is really nice, um, and things that I can definitely relate to. And I'm sure a lot of people, like I, I, I mean, I feel you're being in a lot of ways so brave, but I realise this is just you being who you are, um, because you're just saying. Because I was sharing my experiences, and like I told you things in there that I just. I tell people when I've known them for a period of time because it's just hard for them to get what happened. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, you've just like just completely opened up. I really, I'm so grateful to you for, for that uh, genuineness um, and, and uh, generosity. Um, and the other, the other idea is uh, that we, we go into like talking about like how a session would look with you maybe on, on the next uh um, talk and talk. Um, yeah, I, I've got some ideas that we could even we could talk about. Um, yeah, sure. What What do you kind of my one question I like to ask, which it doesn't have to be a pithy answer, like you know, short two line answer. But when somebody's having these opening experiences, which you know you've you've had a lot of opening experiences, and and you've obviously you know a lot of experience. What do you advise somebody else? They're listening to the podcast and they're saying like, well, you know, I had this uh, experience of a, of a being or I had uh, a heartgasm or I had, you know, uh, some view. Um, number one is I, I feel the podcast is giving them a family and saying like, hey, you're not alone. Yeah. Uh, especially if they really have no frame of reference because we need to help people build frames of reference. Um, uh, you know, what, what, what do you, what's the advice that comes to you spontaneously? It depends. That's a very good answer. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a very good answer. Um, yeah. Let me sit on it for just a moment. I mean, what I get would what I get is listen to your heart and be kind to yourself. That's what I feel Chris Chern would say to me is like, listen to your heart and be kind to yourself. Um, yeah. But that's me just uh, channeling you. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, take a moment. It really, it really does depend on the kind of experience mm. and what emotions it brings up for the person because mm. generally what happens is when we have a very mystical experience the parasympathetic and the sympathetic are, are, are massively fighting 
and because we've been trained so much in a space of fear that the sympathetic system takes over and we go into a space of um, fear, actually, mostly fear. Um, and that's the, the prevalence of that actually shuts down everything else that kind of comes around it. It actually shuts off access to the heart. So if we tell someone who has, let's say, just done a plant journey and ayahuasca ceremony or something, and they've had some big experiences, um, it, even during the experience, um, it's difficult to just to tell someone to go into the heart because when you're anxious and when you're scared and you don't even know that you're scared, like you just, you've gone numb to it. Like you're a deer in headlights kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Or you think you're in psychosis or you're scared you're in psychosis or you're scared that you're going crazy. Or you're scared that this is actually punching through walls of belief and mm. walls of dogma challenging the very core of what you thought to be you your identity who mm. you identify with your who you know you to be like right. that's all very scary stuff yeah. it's like you've gone you've jumped off the cliff you're now in a very what feels like a very unsafe space right because it's beyond the zone of comfortability you've gone beyond that edge yeah when you've gone beyond that edge fear is the first thing that arises mostly and so it's how it's that practice so before anyone ever asks you know whenever anyone ever asks me should i embark on this mystical experience type journey i always sort of say what's your behavior and what's your reactiveness towards fear and in the presence of fear? What do you tend to do? Do you have a practice, a regular practice of working with fear, not through fear, but with fear? How how, How intimate are you able to become with fear, with monsters in your dream, with robbers who come and haunt you in whatever your daytime, your dream time? How are you able to confront the monsters within all of the spaces that you reside in? What's your approach? And if the answer is, oh, well, that's the first time I've ever heard about this. And that's the first time I've really asked the question. I would kind of say, don't go through with that experience. But the thing is, we can have a practice. There are a lot of uh, people. There's so much like, information out there about how to approach fear like martial arts schools one of the the, the, it's very well practiced across all the martial arts schools is you're confronting fear confrontation is confronting fear itself often so you know like it's how what's that practice you have working with fear do you tend to shut down do you tend to run away right what walk you put up and it's just acknowledging that and knowing it in your body. Because if you're able to work with that through the body and you, you're, you have a practice of doing that, whether it's in a meditational practice and it's through visualization, or whether it's through a sense of movement and it's a yoga or a martial arts or whatever, like we have a way in our bodies then that is therefore practiced that we can become intimate with the fear that that thing that we're so afraid of isn't so scary anymore. 
And and you see, what I'm hearing is, is uh, what I hear is, oh, you're talking about developing compassion, really. I mean, that's what I that's what I'm hearing in my mind. It's like this compassion for the self, compassion for whatever is scaring you. Like it's it's a very big space, um, and people can, but people could come to you if they were like scared and they would also learn to like uh, maybe work specifically on those fear points i'm I'm assuming yeah so self-love and self-worth are very very big topics of conversation and generally we we find that at the core of most people's fear is this fear of death and Agreed, agreed and and but it takes for it takes many many different layers and many many different forms and has many many different faces and yes it is about how to um come to love oneself more but sometimes telling someone just to have compassion for oneself doesn't necessarily help that individual it doesn't really guide them right there are some a lot more specific techniques it, it's i mean what i think people don't realize is like uh like words come sometimes words come quite cheaply and and it's like a, a program's kicked in it's almost like an inner entity is kicked in and it's it's running the show um and you're kind of like in you feel like you're in the car that's careering you know careering down uh, a hill with no brakes um but uh exactly. i mean exactly. i i love that advice i mean uh, it's beautiful um all right well yeah when I, people have an sorry when people have an anxiety attack it's really difficult like to to help them in any like it because it's just it's like this this truck that's got no brakes and it's careering down the road it's so scary what gonna happen here it's very difficult to work in that space but it's possible but difficult fantastic Okay, well, we're going to talk next time. I want to thank you so much. Uh, it's a fantastic. I mean, I just, I think it's just great, great to speak to you. So thank you. Thank you for all your questions. And and uh, well, I hope we're going to we're going to come back on the podcast and we'll uh, we'll yeah, sure. go and deep dive a bit more. Thanks. Yeah, I can talk for hours about anything, really. But... I think you can. <laughs> we appreciate it. Pleasure. Very rich in that.